Uh, this is a continuation of a message I started two Sundays ago. For those of you who were here, you know we were not here this past Sunday morning. And uh, this is part two, and then part three will be, Lord willing, next week. Um, and then on 9-11, I hope and pray that I can start a verse-by-verse series through the book of 1 John, which I think is an exciting book, and uh, I hope you'll be here for that. This is not my favorite subject, but I have ignored it long enough, and so I feel like I need to uh, address it. If you weren't here for part one, it's online. You can find Satan part one there um, to see. There are some three dozen names for Satan mentioned in Scripture. We addressed three of the more common ones last time, and those names were Lucifer, Satan, and the devil. Let me mention just one more name because of its unusualness. Name number four is Beelzebub. Beelzebub. Matthew 12 contains the account of the unpardonable sin. Notice verse 24 reads, Now the Pharisees heard it, meaning those Pharisees, that religious sect of men, heard about Jesus exercising a demon from someone. They said, this fellow, meaning Jesus, does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub. These Pharisees, Jesus had been exercising demons out of people that were possessed. And uh, these Pharisees accused him of doing that through the enablement of Satan himself. And Jesus rebutted that argument uh, in Matthew 12. Notice what is said. Beelzebub is the ruler of the demons. Beelzebub was a pagan name. The ancient Philistine civilization had numerous false gods, and one of those Philistine deities was a fly god named Beelzebub. And Beelzebub was said to be lord of the flies. Lord of the flies. That would be an enviable position. That meant he was in charge of the flies. I would like to be in charge of the flies. There would be a mass genocide. And... uh, (laughs) In that same sense, though, Satan is referred to as Beelzebub because he is considered to be Lord of the demons. Lord of the demons. Some biblical historians disagree and argue that this name Beelzebub didn't actually mean Lord of the flies, but it meant Lord of the dung. Dung means feces and excrement from an animal. Dung is manure. Think cow patties here. Uh, That's dung. So Beelzebub, according to them, could also mean Lord of the dung. Remember, though, that flies are attracted to dung. It seems in both cases Beelzebub is an appropriate name to describe Satan because manure stinks. Flies attracted to manure stink. And in a figurative sense, Satan himself also stinks. So it's appropriate. Um, I just had to mention that one. Let's address some of Satan's titles. This is, this is uh, the substance of the sermon. Title one, Satan is the tempter. Satan is the tempter. Genesis 3, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent, serpent or snake, we know that this is Satan because in the New Testament, both John and Paul identified this snake or serpent as a manifestation of Satan himself. Now, the serpent was more cunning, 
meaning deceiving, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, meaning the first woman, Eve, this is in the garden, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Notice Satan was injecting doubt into Eve's mind. Verse 2, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. Verse 3, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it. Most people think that piece of forbidden fruit was probably an apple. We've heard this, that the fruit that Eve ate was an apple. We do not know that. We do not know what uh, the identification of that fruit was. It may have been a special fruit, a design for that occasion, um, and a piece of fruit that no longer exists. We do not know. Could it have been an apple? I guess, but we don't know. Now, notice the statement is made, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, this is Eve speaking, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. God said the first humans couldn't eat from that tree, but God did not, God did not tell them not to touch it. Now, Eve said, he said, not to touch it, but God didn't say that. It's possible Eve's husband mentioned that stipulation, not to touch, in order to add additional protection against violating God's instructions not to eat. Verse 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Satan contradicted God, as that was an outright lie. God said, If you eat of that forbidden fruit, you will die. In a physical sense, the first man and woman wouldn't die for hundreds of centuries after that. Um, but in a spiritual sense, the moment the man and woman ate, they died in a spiritual sense. Verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6, so when the woman, Eve, saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband, Adam, with her, and he ate. Notice the first time Satan is mentioned in Scripture, he is seen in the garden tempting Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. And Satan succeeded in that temptation because Eve was the first human to commit actual sin. She didn't act in overt rebellion against God. She was confused. She thought she had misunderstood God's original instruction. She was deceived into thinking uh, and doing what she thought was the right thing to do, and it wasn't. And the female gender has been blamed ever since. I would contend that's an unfair accusation. Notice the precise order. The first woman ate the forbidden fruit, and then the man ate the forbidden fruit. The New Testament expands on that order. 1 Timothy 2, verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 reads, For Adam was born first, then Eve. That was the creation order. Man was created first, and then woman was created from man. Verse 14, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Notice, Satan deceived Eve into eating forbidden fruit. But Adam was not deceived. Adam wasn't deceived. He was fully uh, 
aware of what was happening. He fully understood the consequences of eating that fruit that he had been offered from Eve. He made a conscious and deliberate, purposeful decision to join Eve in that disobedience. And he, the first man, is the reason we're in the mess we're in. In a technical sense, if it was only Eve that had sinned and not Adam, if it was only Eve that had eaten from that forbidden fruit and not Adam, then we would still be in the garden. Let me explain why that is. Because man was created first, he represented the federal head of the human race. Um, As humanity's federal head, he represented us. All humans have succeeded from him. And his disobedient action in the garden implicated all humans from him. Um, a modern example, because a, familiar, a federal head probably is unfamiliar to some people, a modern example of a federal head would be the current president. He is Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. I doubt he's crazy about that middle name, Robinette. Not sure what his mother was thinking. Um, I think children should be allowed to... Uh, pick their own name, but no, it's just me. Um, Anyway, if President Biden announced that the United States was at war with China, then other than illegal immigrants, all of us would be at war with China. If we voted for the president or not, it wouldn't matter. If we agreed or didn't agree with the decision to go at war against China, it wouldn't matter. Because in that case, as the elected president and federal head of this nation, his actions His announcement would implicate all of us. In that same sense, because the first man represented the federal head of the human race, it was Adam's sin, not Eve's sin. It was Adam's sin that implicated us. Notice Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, notice one man, meaning one male, not one woman, not one female, as through one man, and who was that one man? He was the first man, and the federal head of the human race. His name was Adam. Through one man, sin entered the world. It happened in the garden. And death through sin, meaning death is a consequence of sin, and thus death spread to all men. All men die because all have sinned. Hypothetical question. What would have happened if Eve had presented Adam a piece of that forbidden fruit, as she did, what would have happened if he would have refused to have eaten from that fruit? What if he would have said, hey, I know where that came from. Uh, no, we, I, can't, I can't eat that. Eve, you know I can't eat that. I'm not going to eat that. I'm sorry you ate that, but I can't do that. If Adam rejected that fruit, what would have happened? No one knows for certain. But a good guess... And the reason it's a good guess, because it's my guess, a good guess is that Eve would have been left alone to experience sin's consequences, meaning she would have died at some point, because death is the result of sin. She had sinned, she would die. And then, after her death, God would have created another woman to succeed Eve, and that obedience test in the garden, eating or not eating, would have been repeated. That's a guess. But you don't have a better one, so go with that. The point is, don't blame the first woman for the mess we're in. 
Actually, don't even blame the first man. Even though he was the federal head of the human race, he brought sin into the human race. His actions implicated all of us. Actually, we should blame ourselves because we would have done the exact same thing Adam did if we were there, and you know it. I might add a footnote. Someone asked me about this after a service this past month. The modern feminist movement teaches that a woman named Lilith became the first feminist. The name Lilith could sound familiar because in the past there have been some female musical festivals called Lilith Fair. Lilith Fair and famous female musicians such as Cheryl Crow, Jewel and Emmylou Harris and others participated in those festivals. Lilith originated as a Mesopotamian and Judaic mythological figure. She is mythological. According to most legends, and there's some variations among the legends, this Lilith was the first created woman. Not Eve, as per the biblical record, Lilith. Lilith was supposedly created from the dust, from the ground, as Adam was, and then she became Adam's first wife. But Lilith refused to submit to the headship of man. She challenged the patriarchal system God had created, and in doing that, she was expelled from the garden, according to legend. And she became the first demoness, or she-demon. Um, according to legend, since she had been banished from the garden, God then created another female to replace Lilith, and she was Eve. And Eve became Adam's second wife. Some argue that Lilith is mentioned in Scripture, but that's based on a reading from Isaiah 34, 14, from a translation almost no one uses called the New Revised Standard Version. Most all other biblical translations read there instead of Lilith, night creature or screech owl instead of the name Lilith. So Lilith is not actually mentioned in Scripture. Lilith doesn't exist. She is just a mythological character. Um, all that I had said about her did not happen. I would also suggest parents not name a newborn Lilith. Don't do that. Lilith, the name, does not have a good connotation. Um, she is fictitious. She is a myth. Then in the New Testament, after Satan attempted the first woman in, in, the, in Genesis, in the New Testament, Satan met Jesus and tempted him to commit sin. And that time... He wasn't successful. Notice Matthew 4. This is where the temptation account is. Verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Verse 2, And when he, Jesus, had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. That's probably an understatement. I've only met one person ever who fasted for 40 straight days and nights. One person. He was a member of our staff at a previous congregation. And... Uh, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Um, I've only made it five. John, how, you, you did 20-something once, I know. Not that long? Wow. Well, five about killed me. I can't imagine 40 days and 40 nights. He lost 28 pounds in the process. But he said God really spoke to him during that time, and he's grateful he did it. Never repeated it, but he's grateful he did it once. So Jesus is hungry, uh, no question. Verse 3, now when the tempter, Satan, notice he is called the tempter, 
Satan came to him, came to Jesus. He, Satan, the tempter, said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. In Matthew's account, um, Chris preached on this some months ago. In Matthew's account, Satan tempted Jesus three separate times. He is the tempter, and he entices someone to commit sin. But even if Satan exerts incredible pressure on someone, Satan cannot actually force someone to sin. Most people remember the name Flip Wilson. He was a famous comedian. Uh, see Daner after the service. He knew Flip Wilson. Of course, Daner knows everyone. So anyway, but uh, he created the famous line, the devil made me do it. That was his cop-out line, the devil made me do it. I guess people found that humorous, but that's not a true statement. No matter how strong the temptation is, um, Satan cannot, cannot force someone to commit sin. If I commit sin, I'm 100% culpable. Remember the middle letter in the word sin is I. Satan can set me up because he's the tempter, but ultimately I'm at fault. Understand, Satan is aware of where we are most vulnerable, and that's where he tempts us. That's what he did to Jesus. Jesus was hungry 40 days and nights, fasting, no food at all. And he's hungry. And so the first temptation was Jesus tempted him to turn stones into bread so that he could satisfy his hunger urges. Satan knows where we're most vulnerable. And all of us are different. We have different areas of vulnerability. Smoking has never been a temptation to me. Never. Cramming tobacco leaves into someone's mouth and setting them on fire has never been an enticement to me. Alcohol has never been an enticement. In part because I have witnessed up close and personal countless people who struggle with alcoholism. I've seen the incredible devastation and death abusing alcohol has caused. So it's just not a temptation. Now I am tempted in other areas. Overeating is a temptation to me. But not all food is problematic. There's a restaurant in, on Fremont Street in downtown Las Vegas called the Heart Attack Grill. Not exaggerating, real name, the Heart Attack Grill. It's a hospital-themed restaurant, famous for its supersized hamburgers. Customers are called patients. Meal orders are called prescriptions. And waitresses are called nurses. All customers weighing more than 350 pounds can eat their unlimited food free. Those customers weigh in on an electronic cattle scale. That's got to be embarrassing. The individual dishes have strange names. From a quadruple bypass burger to flatliner fries cooked in pure lard and the coronary hot dog. According to the Guinness people, the quadruple bypass burger, I would like to see it, has to be interesting, is the most caloric sandwich on earth. It contains, that one sandwich contains more than 10,000 calories. Now, none of that is enticing to me. We were in Las Vegas for our anniversary, and I also met with some pastors, and we did not eat at the Heart Attack Grill. I was aware of it. I knew where it was. I never suggested it to Hopi. Um, 
we, we ate at a, a nice Italian restaurant called Nora's, if you ever go to Vegas. It's a very nice restaurant called Nora's. It's uh, great food and not expensive, very good. But we didn't eat at the Heart Attack Grill. Grease overload isn't attractive to me. I'm just not into that. But I could eat chocolate until it comes out my ears. So I have to be careful. I have to be aware of where I'm vulnerable. I might add 25 mile per hour zones frustrate me. So sometimes speeding is a temptation. I'm getting better at that. I haven't been here one decade. I haven't received a speeding ticket since moving here. But that doesn't mean I haven't deserved one because I'm sure I have. Um, But Satan knows us better than we know us. And he's the tempter, and he tempts us where we're most susceptible to sin. The second title is Satan is the evil one and the wicked one. These are synonyms. These are basically one and the same. Satan is the evil one and the wicked one. Notice John 17. John 17 is from the Lord's Prayer. Most people think the disciples' prayer in Matthew 6 is uh, the Lord's Prayer. It is not, even though it's called that. Uh, the actual Lord's Prayer is found in John 17. Jesus leaving the upstairs room in Jerusalem with his disciples, uh, having just eaten the Passover meal, going downstairs and walking to the garden where he would be arrested in a matter of hours and then be crucified uh, the next morning. This is the Lord's Prayer. He's praying as he's walking to the garden. Jesus prayed, I do not pray that you... This is God the Father. Jesus addressed his prayers to God the Father. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Now, that was his disciples, and that is also us. But that you should keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one who is Satan. 1 John 5, verse 18. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one, Satan, does not touch him. These designations means that Satan is someone characterized by an intense evilness and gross wickedness. Satan is the personification of evilness. Satan is the supreme and ultimate evil being. But he sometimes hides his true evil character so he can deceive us. If more people understood the true evilness of Satan, then more people would avoid Satan like the plague. Satan understands that. And so he disguises himself, and he camouflages what he does. And he camouflages and conceals better than anyone else. Joe Gutierrez tells stories from his 42 years as a steelworker in his book called The Heat. The Heat, about steelworkers' lives and legends. He described silver dusk flakes that would float to the floor in an area of the mill where steel strips rolled over pads inside a tall cooling tower. So inside this large room, uh, these, these silver dust flakes would fall to the floor. He indicated that both the employees and guests always wanted to see that particular area because it was, it resembled snow. It seemed as though it was snowing in the room. And it was so picturesque, especially at night. But then after literally decades of doing that, it was determined that the silver dust flakes were actually asbestos. Gutierrez said everyone breathed it, and now he and other steelworkers suffer from asbestosis. He said, I can't walk too far now. I get tired real fast, and it hurts when I breathe sometimes. And to think, we used to fight over that job. 
Satan disguises sin just as this asbestos was disguised as beautiful silver dust resembling snow. And Satan does that so it can be an enticement to us. Immoral sexual situations are part and parcel to television programming and on theater screens. But the inevitable negative consequences from immoral actions are often omitted. There are no unwanted pregnancies on the screen. There are no sexually transmitted diseases on the screen. Because Satan wants to conceal the negative consequences from sin. That's how he deceives. The third title is Satan is a Liar. Satan is a liar. John 8, 44, one more time. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And Jesus made that statement uh, to the Pharisees who were standing there. Jesus said Satan is the source of all liars, lies, and he is the ultimate liar himself. He cannot be trusted. Some of Satan's lies that we have bought into are these. If it feels right, then it can't be wrong. That is a lie. My past defines me. Doesn't have to. God grades on a curve. No, he doesn't. Money and material possessions are the real secrets to happiness. No. Pain should be avoided at all cost. The Bible is a man-made book that cannot be trusted. God just wants me to be happy. I don't pray because I'm not good at praying. I don't give because I don't have enough to give. Some things are unforgivable. And on and on. These are lies from Satan that we often have accepted. It's interesting the lies some self-deceived religions tell about Satan. The prophet Muhammad said this about Satan. And this is documented in the Islamic holy book called the Hadith. The Islamic Hadith is second in importance to the Quran. Muhammad said yawning is from Satan. Okay, if that's the case we're in trouble um, because we all yawn. Muhammad said a bad dream is from Satan. Muhammad said that at night Satan resides in the upper part of someone's nose. Meaning at night Satan is resident in someone's upper nose. That could be the reason the Islamic god Allah is said to like sneezing because sneezing expels the satanic residue from someone's nose. Muhammad said that it is Satan that causes people to cry. Muhammad said that earthquakes and other disasters come out of Satan's head. He said that if someone prays standing, as I'm doing, then Satan puts doubts into his mind, and that is a partial reason Muslims kneel to pray rather than stand. Muhammad also said that he once choked out Satan. If he did, he didn't choke him hard enough because Satan's still here. Satan lies, and so do people that are caught up in his false religious systems. And number four, title four, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. This is an unusual one. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Verse 
Ephesians 2, verse 2, in which you once walked, this is describing someone's pre-salvation condition, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Satan is in charge of the atmosphere around the earth. Satan is in charge of the atmosphere around the earth and on into interstellar space. That entire atmospheric region is demon-infested and demon-saturated. Remember we said Satan cannot be omnipresent as God is. He is limited to one location at a time, but he has this massive network of demons. Demons are fallen angels, and these demons have saturated the atmosphere. That's the reason some theologians are convinced that UFOs and aliens are demonic manifestations. UFOs are also known, and this is the more common label now, as UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Um, Most of us have heard about supposed alien abductions, cattle mutilations, and that is a thing. Thousands of cattle uh, have been mutilated in the most bizarre manner. Crop circles, that happens. Supposed crashed alien aircraft. Supposed alien autopsies. The supposed Roswell UFO crash from 1947. And one of my personal favorites, Area 51 in southern Nevada. I'm fascinated by that. And on and on and on. This is just an example of, you know, unidentified aerial phenomena or... UFOs. Nowhere does the Bible use explicit language to confirm or discount the existence of intelligent life or extraterrestrial civilizations. It doesn't, it doesn't comment on that in explicit language. But the Bible does teach in implicit language that the only things God has created with intelligence are angels, man, and animals. Angels, man, and animals. Angels meaning both faithful angels and fallen angels, man meaning all members of the homo sapiens species, um, us, and then animals, even though animal intelligence, intelligence is much, much less than humans and angels, to our knowledge, these are the only three things God has created that possess actual intelligence. UFO researchers seem to agree that if UFOs do exist, And on a personal basis, I believe UFOs do exist. Somebody's going to see me after the service and say, yeah, I suppose you believe in Bigfoot too. Actually, I don't know. Anyway, but I do believe UFOs exist. I do believe there are actual phenomena that we have not identified. But if so, then those unidentified things represent an intelligence form that is much superior to human intelligence. Unidentified aerial phenomena are reported, and this is documented, and our government covered this up for some time. It's been released of late, partly. Um, These phenomena are reported to be able to form amazing physics-refuting maneuvers, such as making right-angle turns at incredible speeds and immediate 180-degree switchbacks and then materializing out of nothing, and then dematerializing into nothing, and changing colors, and changing shapes, and merging, and splitting. All of this has happened, and we've observed that. 
Man has sent spacecraft to most planets in our solar system. We have learned that none of those planets can support life except possibly Marge, Mars and possibly a moon of Jupiter's. And even Mars is a long shot because starting in 1976, the U.S. sent two landers to Mars. Each of them had in instruments that could dig into the Martian sand and evaluate it for possible life. There was nothing. That is in direct contrast to the soil on Earth. If we took soil samples from the most barren desert on Earth or the most frozen soil in Antarctica, those samples would still be full of microorganisms. In 1997, the U.S. sent Pathfinder to Mars. More samples were collected and more experiments were conducted and there was still no sign of existing life. Since that time, there has been more missions to Mars, and there has been no change in those results. That hasn't stopped Elon Musk, though, from wanting to establish human communities on Mars. He wants to do that in order to, quote, ensure the continuance of consciousness as we know it, in case the Earth is ravaged by something as drastic as a nuclear war. Now, no matter how someone feels about Elon Musk, and he is strange, I admit, the man is a genius, and he's one of the greatest visionaries in modern times, and he wants humans to establish communities on Mars. I'm not interested. I'm going past there um, at some point. In addition, quantum physicists theorized that there could be a total of 10 dimensions, and not just three dimensions as we are accustomed to, because of that, some UFO researchers called UFOologists contend that UFOs and extraterrestrial aliens are from another, altogether different dimension instead of from another planet in our dimension. Even Gene Roddenberry, creator of the Star Trek series, argued that aliens are interdimensional beings. The point is that if aliens are much more advanced, much more intelligent than we are as humans, then those aliens are probably angels. And because the supposed messages from those, quote, extraterrestrial beings is sometimes occultic in nature, sometimes containing New Age thought, and most often intended to terrorize the person that has the close encounter, in those cases the angel masquerading as an alien cannot be a faithful angel. He's a fallen angel, and fallen angels are demons. No one can be certain, and I'm not dogmatic about this, but until I see evidence to the contrary, I believe unidentified flying objects unidentified aerial phenomena, extraterrestrial beings, aliens, could be, could be, and probably are demonic manifestations. Luke 16, starting at verse 19, contains the account, most of us are familiar, an anonymous rich man and a poor beggar named Lazarus. Both men die. The rich man goes to the equivalent of hell called Hades. Lazarus dies, the beggar, and goes to the equivalent of heaven called Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom, same as paradise, same as the third heaven where God resides. Now verse 22 from Luke 16 reads, So it was that the beggar died, Lazarus died, now notice, and was carried by the angels 
to Abraham's bosom, to paradise. If that is the norm, then it would seem that just before a Christian dies, faithful angels from God are dispatched from heaven and assigned to that person that is about to transition. Then once that someone has died and his soul has been released from his dead corpse, those angels assisting that person then help that person through the demonic infected atmospheres and into heaven. That means each Christian receives an angelic escort from earth to heaven to ensure he doesn't encounter problems as he goes through Satan's atmospheric territory. Because Satan is the prince of the power of the air. If the atmosphere between here and heaven is demon infested, we need help getting there. And so God assigns angels to escort us there. Uh, most of you know I'm married to Hope. Um, or Hopi. Hope is an identical twin. She was a mirror image. Identical twin, meaning she was right-handed. Her sister, Faith, Hope and Faith, was left-handed. This is a graduation picture. And uh, don't pretend that you know who is who, because you don't. And, uh, but that's what I confounded on our first double date. I had no clue who I was with. These, these women were just really ornery. And uh, <laughs> try to trick people. Technically, she thinks, and I said thinks, she's the one on the right. Why? Because she's right-handed, her sister's left-handed, and that's what her, her mother would do. So, anyway, it was tough, okay, but I figured it out after some time. At age 30, her twin sister, Faith, contracted a rare immune deficiency that has a medical name consisting of 23 letters that I cannot pronounce and won't pretend to, it is such a rare disease, it only affects one out of 50 million people. She probably contracted it from a virus that destroyed her bone marrow's ability to manufacture gamma goblin. Uh, it was immune deficiency. In order to correct that problem and boost her immune system, once a month she would go to see the doctor and she would be attached to a bag of human gamma goblin for six to eight hours. And she continued to receive those treatments on a month-to-month -month basis. At age 43, she received that same treatment, but this time, on one of those visits, the solution that contained a blood byproduct had been contaminated. She wasn't the only one that received some of that same contaminated solution, as more than 100 people were part of a class action lawsuit against the pharmaceutical company. That lawsuit was successful, but the damage had been done. Faith contracted acute hepatitis C. At that time, hepatitis C was incurable. Progress has been made since. Uh, now there's a better outcome often. That hepatitis C turned into cirrhosis of the liver and then end-stage liver disease. All that resulted in Faith spending much, much time in the hospital, undergoing different surgical procedures. She was... Um, taking medication, tons of medication. She was fatigued so much she was forced to quit her job. She was in much pain. She was anemic, and she suffered much, but she never complained. And then at age 49, she had a hysterectomy. She went home after that surgery, but after 24 hours, she was readmitted to the hospital. 
Her condition had continued to deteriorate, and her lungs had started to hemorrhage and fill up with blood. Um, she was in the hospital, in the room, and she needed to use the, the bathroom, and so her husband Dave, who was there, helped her out of bed, helped her into the bathroom, and then helped her back into bed. He said as he helped her back into bed, he heard a fluttering sound he had never heard before. He said it was difficult to describe. He'd never heard it before, and he's never heard it since. But he distinctly remembers hearing a fluttering sound as he put Faith back in bed. And then as she laid in bed, he said she looked up toward the ceiling. She was focused on something toward the ceiling. And she said, what is that? And then she said, who are you? And then she said, what are you doing here? And then she smiled and said, wow, what a neat concept. And then she stopped breathing. A medical team rushed in and tried to retrieve a heartbeat, but couldn't. You could speak to David this morning. David is convinced that what he heard in that room and what faith was seen in that room was an actual angel there to assist her through this demonic atmosphere on into heaven. I don't know. I can't confirm that, but it's consistent with the biblical record. There is biblical reason to believe that's how, at death, we transition from earth to heaven. And if so, I think that's pretty awesome. The next title, the last title, is Satan is a Murderer. Number five, Satan is a Murderer. Satan is the one that instigates murder. John 8:44 one more time you and Jesus was addressing those Pharisees a group of about 6000 Jewish men were in that sect the Pharisaical sect they were the most religious people on earth at that time legalistic judgmental hyper religious and hypocritical he said you are of your father the devil he accused them of being to having a spiritual father satan and the desires of your father you want to do he their spiritual father, the devil, Satan, was a murderer from the beginning. Someone said Satan deceives those he cannot destroy, and he destroys those he cannot deceive. And that means Satan is a serial murderer. Notice 1 John 3, verses 11 and 12. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain who was of the wicked one. The wicked one is Satan. Remember, the first man and woman had sons, Cain and Abel. Um, Cain, who was of the wicked one, Satan, murdered his brother. His brother was Abel. And why did Cain murder him? Notice, because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Cain was envious of Abel because God had accepted Abel's sacrifice and God had rejected Cain's sacrifice. And so he was envious of his brother. He was upset. And this is a record of the first unjustifiable criminal homicide in human history. In Genesis chapter 4, Satan enticed Cain to murder his brother Abel. It's interesting that the Hebrew word translated as murdered, used in verse 12, Genesis 4, means to butcher and slaughter through cutting the throat. 
to butcher and slaughter through cutting the throat. Actually, that same Hebrew word is used in referring to Old Testament animal sacrifices. If that's the case, then this is what could have happened. I'm not dogmatic, but this could have happened. Cain had witnessed his parents, Adam and Eve, slit the throat of an animal sacrifice as an offering to God. Both sons had witnessed this multiple times. So in his satanic twisted mind, Cain then used that same technique in order to murder his brother Abel. He probably slit his throat and then gutted his intestines as would have happened to a sacrificial animal. He was just mimicking what he had seen done. Only it wasn't an animal, it was his brother. Some of us know someone that was murdered. I have conducted um, multiple funeral services for murder victims. And I also know someone that has committed murder. I have met numerous murderers in prison as a guest, not as an inmate, but I've met numerous men as, uh, who had committed murder. My first occasion was at age 16. I was competing in a lifting meet at the Missouri State Penitentiary, and here I am, this innocent 16-year-old kid, pastor's kid. I'm shoved into this back room, warm-up room, and I'm sitting there talking to men who had committed multiple murder. And I'm looking for guards everywhere because I was, I was kind of frightened. Uh, they were all very nice to me, unlike how they had treated their victims, but very nice to me. But I've met multiple people who've committed murder. And if we don't know a murder victim ourselves, then we probably know someone that was in some sense related to someone that was murder. Because murder is a serious and increasing societal problem. And Satan is the one that inspires homicidal actions. And that includes abortion. One of the most infamous mass murderers of all times was Adolf Hitler. Hitler was responsible for executing more than 6 million Jewish people in addition to others. Nazism itself came from different occultic groups during the last part of the 19th century. That isn't some urban legend that is factual. The Nazi party predicted that a messiah would ultimately rescue the German people. Hitler felt strongly that he was that promised Messiah, that he was sent to rescue his people. Hitler was baptized as an infant into the Catholic Church, but left the church to investigate Eastern religion and the occult. In fact, Hitler spent much of his beginning adulthood in the Hofburg Library in Vienna, Austria. He was there reading about those subjects. Urban Lutzer, who is a fantastic author, former pastor of the famous Moody Church in Chicago. He shared this interesting account about Hitler and what transpired in that Hofburg library. He said, quote, one day when Hitler was in his early 20s, he overheard a tour group guide point out the spear to a group of guests. Now the spear he references was a spear under glass that supposedly was the spear used by a Roman legionnaire shoved up into Jesus' side as he hung on the cross to determine his death. Supposedly, it's that spear. I doubt it was or is. This tour guide said, This spear is shrouded in mystery. Whoever unlocks its secrets will rule the world. 
Hitler then, after hearing that, spent hours staring at the spear that had supposedly pierced the side of Christ. He believed that spear was possessed by secret occultic powers, and he invited those powers to invade his soul. Trevor Ravenscroft records the eyewitness account of Dr. Walter Steen. Dr. Steen stood beside Hitler as he stared at that spear. And here's what he said, quote, Adolf Hitler stood like a man in a trance, a man over whom some dreadful magic spell had been cast. He was swaying on his feet as though caught up in some totally inexplicable euphoria. His whole physiognomy and stance appeared transformed as if some mighty spirit now inhabited his very soul, creating within and around him a kind of evil transformation of its own nature and power. That's what this doctor witnessed and seeing Adolf Hitler stand there in front of that spear. That resembles demon possession, doesn't it? Hitler probably had an entire legion of demons assigned to him. Legion was the largest unit in the ancient Roman army, consisting of between 3,000 and 6,000 men. It would probably require a demonic infestation of that size to enable Hitler to do all the evilness that he did. That bizarre experience is the reason some historians claim that in his public speeches, and some of us have heard those public speeches in part, in his public speeches it is said Hitler spoke in a voice that was not his own voice. There is just one remaining audio recording of Hitler speaking in a normal conversation with someone. Actually, it's with someones. Just one recording. I happened to find it. I happened to listen to that rare recording. And I didn't recognize it as Hitler's voice. I wouldn't have known it was Hitler's voice if I hadn't been told it was Hitler's voice. It was entirely different. Hitler was a possessed man. The friend that introduced me to Hopi committed suicide at age 33. And that was devastating for us. He was a good friend. Suicide is self-murder. But let me add, I don't want anyone to misunderstand. Suicide is a forgivable sin. Suicide is not the unpardonable sin. A Christian's sins are forgiven past, present, and future, and future sins include suicide. Um, I'm convinced my friend's in heaven. He was a believer. Um, Satan is responsible for promoting and prompting suicide. In the U.S., on an annual basis, listen to this, 12.2 million people, 12.2 million people seriously consider suicide on an annual basis, just in the U.S. Of that number, 3.2 million people actually plan a suicide. Of that number, 1.2 million people actually attempt suicide. And of that number, almost 46,000 people, just in the U.S., on an annual basis, actually die from committing suicide. That means there's one suicide each 11 minutes. And I would argue that Satan is complicit in each of those deaths. John 10, verse 10. In, in verses 1 through 5 of John 10, Jesus shared a familiar parable about a shepherd and his sheep. He explained that parable in verses 7 through 16. 
Notice verse 7, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now Jesus identified himself earlier as the shepherd, and the sheep are in a pen, and there's a gate or a door there. And he also said that he was the door of the sheep. Often the shepherd would lay down in that opening and acting as a door or a gate so that if anyone came to rob or steal or, or kill, whatever, he would have to climb over him. Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. Verse 8, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Sheep didn't hear them, meaning didn't recognize them because none of them were the shepherd. Sheep recognized the shepherd. Verse 9, I am the door. That's Jesus. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and find pasture. Now, verse 10 is often quoted. The thief, this is Satan, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. It's interesting, the Greek word translated there abundantly means a better quality of life. Someone that has Jesus has a better quality of life than he could ever possibly have apart from Jesus. Understand something, based on verse 10, Satan's ultimate objective is never positive. His ultimate ambition and objective is never in someone's best interest. His objective is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. An example of that, one of the most notorious cases of Satan's negative societal input or impact was a man named Sean Sellers. Some of us that are older remember this case. Since the death penalty was reinstituted in 1976, Sean remains the first and only person to be executed in the U.S. for a crime that was committed under age 17. Since the death penalty was reinstated, he's the first and only, probably the last, person to be executed in the U.S. for committing a crime under age 17. He was 16 at the time he committed these crimes. Since then, the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled it is unconstitutional to execute someone for a crime committed under age 18. And that's probably an appropriate standard. In 1985... A Circle K convenience store clerk named Robert Bauer refused to sell Sean's underage friend beer. That angered Sean. He was upset. He pulled a 357 from his pocket and he shot and murdered that man in cold blood at that convenience store. And he wasn't caught for that at that time. And then on the night of March 5th, 1986, Sean walked into the bedroom of his mother and stepfather as the two of them were sleeping wearing only underwear to limit blood spatter on his clothes. He first shot his stepfather in the head. That shot awoke his mother, whom he then shot in the face, if you can believe that. Sellers tried to arrange the crime scene to seem as if an intruder had committed the murders, but Sean was unsuccessful in his attempt to conceal his crimes. He was arrested and imprisoned for all three murders. At his trial, Sellers said he had been a practicing Satanist at the time of the murders, and he claimed that demonic possession had caused him to murder his victims. In later documents, he claimed to have read the Satanic Bible, Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible we mentioned last time. He said he read that Bible hundreds of times between the ages of 15 and 16 when all three crimes were committed. 
In a confession letter written from prison, he reflected on that time period and said, I got very involved in Satanism. I thought its rituals would help control my life. Instead, those rituals conducted in the name of Satan completely ruined his life, destroyed his life. Because as Jesus said, Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Another time he said, also said this about that time period. I made an actual pact to Satan. In my own blood, I wrote, I renounce God. I renounce Christ. I will serve only Satan. To my friend's love, to my enemy's death, hail Satan. And then I placed my name at the bottom of that pact. That was Sean Sellers, a Satanist. But he didn't remain a Satanist. He was incarcerated and he was converted to Jesus Christ. This is how Sean described his Christian conversion. A man came to this cell next to mine. He gave me a Bible. I opened it to read it without knowing why I was doing that. I had mutilated Bibles before. I burned them, urinated on them, poured blood on them, and now for the first time I read one. Without any ulterior motives, I read just because something seemed to say to me, search. And as I opened the paperback book, and I, I, I assume in prison, Bibles are only to be in paperback form, I read from Psalms. An overwhelming sense of guilt fell upon me. I had been wrong. Satan had lied to me. It was God, not Satan, who loved me. I had cursed God. I had knelt at an altar of Satan covered in blood, full of hate toward the Creator, and still God loved me. I felt a new presence wanting to descend on me, crying for me to let him in. So on my knees I fell, and I prayed really for the first time. Lord, I, here I am. If you will take me back, I will serve you. God touched me, honoring that prayer, and I began to cry. I cried for two solid hours, not caring who saw me. And when I slept, it was the first peaceful night's sleep I'd had in a year and a half. I awoke knowing everything would be okay. I had no idea what would happen. I didn't care, and it didn't matter, because in that one moment, all things unspoken I had ever searched for were found in Jesus. I had been forgiven and given an incomprehensible peace. I want us to see a short video clip where Sean Sellers was being interviewed by Gerardo Rivera. Gerardo Rivera should be familiar. He's been, he's, he's been around forever. Uh, he is interviewing Sean. Sean's in prison. Um, uh, so he's interviewing him. Uh, this is almost three and a half decades ago and was part of a notorious Halloween special called Devil Worship, Exposing Satan's Underground. And during this interview, Sean mentions Anton LaVey's daughter, doesn't mention her name. She's uh, there, though, and in that audience, and also mentions Dr. Michael Aquino, who's there in the audience. Michael Aquino left the Church of Satan in 1975. He formed another satanic group called the Temple of Set, S-E-T, Set. That group still exists, and Michael Aquino is still head of that organization. I want you to see this clip. Is condemned to die by lethal injection because of the murder of your mother, your stepfather, and a convenience store clerk. You've heard the Satanist say that it is not the teaching that is wrong, it is the person that's wrong. Are you using Satanism as a cover for your violence? No, I'm not. I've heard quite a few 
well, I can call them his lies on the show right now. I've heard uh, Dr. Aquino say that uh, Satanism is not, or the ideals that we're talking about here are not Satanism. That is because Satanists believe that good is evil and evil is good. And so, of course, they're not the ideals that he believes in. He believes that evil is good. That is what I believe in. I heard him say that the uh, um, Satanic Bible is not to be taken literally. But I talked to a 16-year-old boy yesterday who takes the Satanic Bible literally. I've been working with a lot of ministries around the United States trying to get and help people get out of the occult. He takes the Satanic Bible literally. I took it literally. A lot of people are taking the Satanic Bible literally. And um, I heard um, Anton LaVey's daughter say that... Uh, these um, babies who are being sacrificed, you know, they're, it's not Satanism. Or she wouldn't answer to saying that it was. The fact of the matter is the kids are abducted, teenagers are drawn into the occult, and a lot of them are being used for uh, occult um, sacrifices. And there's been so much on the show that you've, so, you've shown so much pain and blood and all this other gore and stuff, but you really haven't shown how to get out of the occult for those who want to get out. There is... Um, let me tell you a story about a friend of mine. She tell it briefly, she, Sean. Go ahead. Uh, just give me one half minute. Go ahead. Her name is, um, you know, anyway, she works with the uh, Watch Network in uh, Texas. And she told me that a lady called her and said, my daughter's involved in Satanism and I want her to get out, but I don't want her to become some kind of Jesus freak or anything like that. Sue told her, I'm sorry, I can't help you. A month later, the girl was uh, living with her aunt and uncle because her mother was in an insane asylum and she was threatening to kill her aunt and uncle. What's your point, Sean? She destroyed three lives, her mother's, herself, and her aunt and uncle's because she didn't want her, her mother didn't want her to become a Jesus freak. I want to tell you right now, there is no other way out of Satanism except through Jesus Christ. Do you believe That's in the it. devil to this day? I believe in the devil, but I don't worship the devil. I'm a Christian. I stand up boldly and proudly and proclaim my faith in Jesus. Susan. I'm telling you, there is no way out of Satanism except through Christ. He's absolutely right. <laughs> Sellers was executed on February 4th, 1999 at the Oklahoma State Penitentiary at 12.17 a.m., just after midnight, five minutes after the lethal drugs were injected. He began his final statement by addressing his step-siblings who were there to witness his execution. He said this, All the people that are hating me right now and are here waiting to see me die, when you wake up in the morning, you're not going to feel any different. You're going to hate me just as much tomorrow as tonight. When you wake up and nothing has changed inside, reach out to God and He will be there for you. Reach out to God. He will heal you. Let Him touch your hearts. Don't hate all your lives. I love you all. In the final minutes before the lethal injection, Sellers sang Christian music and then loudly said, Here I come, Father. I'm coming home. Sellers actually sang his last words. And those words were, Set my spirit free that I might praise thee. Set my spirit free that I might worship thee. In the 90s, I was close friend to a, a man who was an evangelist. Uh, a successful evangelist, and he had received permission to visit Sean Sellers in the Oklahoma State Penitentiary. And he was permitted to video an extended, an extensive interview with Sean, where he learned all of this and so much more about Sean. And I remember after he'd come home from that trip, and I remember us talking after that interview, and this evangelist friend told me that he had no reason to doubt Sean's conversion experience. 
He said, Sean demonstrated all the spiritual evidence of a genuine Christian. He said, this man is radically changed. Jesus has done something in him. How did that happen? It happened because although Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus came that Sean and us might have abundant life. Sean received that life. He's in heaven. And if you haven't, you can receive that life just as we have. Let's bow our heads. Let's everyone stand to our feet. We're running late today, so we're not going to sing a closing song. Everyone, let's stand to our feet. Father in heaven, I come to you. This is a serious subject. I didn't want to get super involved. I didn't want to get... I mean, some of it is so graphic, I can't even repeat some of what I've seen and heard in, in doing research. It's just mind-boggling. But suffice it to say, Satan is alive and well on this earth, and he's making major inroads into people's lives and into churches. Um, I see him everywhere. Father, I pray that we will take what we've learned about our enemy and that we will be made more aware of his operation and his objective in using us, manipulating us, deceiving us to serve his purposes and not God's. And most of all, Father, if there's anyone here today who's not a Christian, they've never committed their life to Christ, I pray that they would see me afterwards so that we can set up an appointment and I can share with them how they can have Jesus, how they can have abundant life, a life that's a better quality of any life that they could ever possibly have apart from him. True Christians never regret Christ, never. I've seen it hundreds and thousands of times. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Bless us as we go. Protect us and keep us safe until next Sunday. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.